This is the 12th Sunday of Pentecost, a season of witness. This is the time between Pentecost and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus said to his disciples on the evening of his resurrection, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus on a mission of salvation for the whole world. And Jesus has sent you and I to finish that mission. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 13 and 14. This will be the focus of our study today. Get your pen, get a notebook. Let's seek to understand the purposes of God and the work that God has for us as we look in the scripture today. Our study is entitled Mission Capable, and we are in part two today. Since the day of Pentecost, the mission thus far has moved forward primarily through specific individuals, such as Philip and Peter, who have been prompted by the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at those individuals, and we looked at specific events, each of which had been initiated by the Holy Spirit as he pushed the church further and further into the mission that Jesus had given them. Events such as Peter's ministry at Cornelius's house that opened the gospel to the Gentiles. But remember that the goal of the mission is the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations. And to accomplish that mission, it will require more than just specific individuals and specific events. And as we saw last week, the Holy Spirit is initiating a new focus and a new paradigm. And from now on, the mission will center around systematic evangelism, the planting of new churches, and the effective involvement of those churches in the mission. Look with me at Acts chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. We read these words. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. The church at Antioch. That now becomes the focus. This is the furthest that the gospel has been taken. And it came to Antioch by a group of both Cypriot and Libyan Jews. And they proclaimed the gospel to everyone in this cosmopolitan, multi-ethnic city. Not just to the Jews, but to everyone. And a vibrant, growing church has begun there in Antioch. Antioch is like a forward operating base in military terms. The most forward part of a campaign. It is from Antioch that Paul's missionary journeys are going to initiate. He will go out each time from Antioch for his first, his second, and his third missionary journeys. Antioch is going to be an extraordinary church. In fact, some of the most significant church leaders and preachers in the first several centuries 
of Christianity will come out of Antioch. So let's look at what is taking place here at Antioch. Luke tells us that in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Now, what does that reveal to us? First of all, there were prophets. Prophets reveal God's word specifically. What is God saying to someone or to a corporate group of people? What is he telling them to do in a certain situation or a certain moment in time? When prophets speak, it prompts people to do something. We see that again and again as we look at the Old Testament. A prophet would come on the scene, he would speak and declare, Thus saith the Lord. And the intention was to prompt people to act and to do the will of God at that moment in time. Teachers explain Scripture systematically. Their work is to enable people to become, to become people who reflect the will of God, to become people who reveal who God is and what he is like, his purposes, his desires for people. It is through the teaching of Scripture that we become more like Jesus Christ that we understand what God has called us to do, that we are able to lead others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, able to disciple them. Remember that Jesus told his apostles, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so in the church at Antioch and among this leadership group, there were both prophets and teachers. Now, when we read this scripture, we see a cast of people. So let's look for a moment at who the Lord has brought into leadership and once again see a picture of how God designs his church to reflect the fullness of his purposes and his desire that everyone come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're already familiar with Barnabas. Barnabas is a Cypriot Jew. He's a Jew from Cyprus. He is growing up in the Greek culture. Although he is a Jew by belief and faith, his cultural background is Greek or Hellenistic. And then we are told that there's a man named Simeon who is called Niger. Niger is Latin for black. So Simeon was a very dark-skinned man, and he was also known as the black man. Interesting. There is Lucius, a Libyan. He perhaps was among the first who came there to Antioch, one of those Libyan Jews who brought the gospel to everyone there in Antioch. And then there was Menaean. Menaean was a foster brother of Herod Antipas. They were childhood friends, companions, growing up in the same household. Herod Antipas, you might remember, was the one who was responsible for taking his brother's wife, Herodias, and marrying her. You will also remember that he was responsible for beheading John the Baptist 
at the request of Herodias's daughter, who had been prompted by her mother, who hated John the Baptist. Look at the picture of God's grace. Here is a ruthless, bloody, murderous man and his foster brother, Menaean. But the grace of God came to Menaean, and he turns out to be a leader in the church in such contrast to his foster brother, Herod Antipas. And then finally, there is Rabbi Saul. He came from a Turkish background, for Tarsus was in southern Turkey. He is a Jew, not just a Jew, a Jew of the strictest sect, a Pharisee. It is this group of men who comprise the spiritual leadership and oversight of the church there at Antioch. Now we read that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, it would seem to us that it was just these five who were there praying, but that's not really the case. The entire church was engaged at this moment that we are reading about. And it is during that time of worshiping the Lord and fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke. The King James renders that ministering to the Lord and fasting. Let's think of what's going on here. First of all, this aspect of worshiping and fasting or ministering to the Lord. At the heart of the idea or the concept of worship is relationship. It is recognizing the worth of someone or something and responding appropriately to that worth. At the heart of worship is the presence of God. When you and I are engaged in worship, we are responding to the presence of God. We are desiring to experience the presence of God. We are drawing near to God. We are wanting to be with him. We are wanting to honor him and to esteem him. And so they were in a place all together as a church where they were ministering to the Lord, where they were in his presence, where they were drawing near to him. Luke also tells us that they were fasting and praying. Prayer and fasting indicates dependence upon God. Fasting also indicates dependence and the necessity to really hear from God. Fasting means that we have set aside other things that we would ordinarily do, that would ordinarily be a part of our every day. And we have taken that moment, we've taken that focus, we've taken that energy, and we've redirected it to seeking the Lord because we want to hear from him. We want to know what he wants to say to us. We want his enablement. We want his power. Remember that Jesus told his disciples in their moment of impotence, this kind is only 
accomplished by prayer and much fasting. And so they recognized that they needed the power of God on a continual basis. They needed the enablement of God to keep doing day by day and week by week the work that God had called them to do. And so as a church, they were fasting and praying. I wonder if they were also fasting and praying and asking God, what do we do next? Recognizing that God had called them to do much more than what they had already seen accomplished. There's a couple of truths that you and I need to understand as we look at this passage. Our mission is a spiritual mission. And if we are not spirit-enabled and spirit-led, we cannot do spiritual work. This means that we need to have a spiritual perspective. And we need to be engaged in spiritual activity. Worship, prayer, fasting. To be spirit-enabled and spirit-led, we need to be in a spiritual environment. We need to be in a spiritual posture, such as worship, such as prayer, where the Holy Spirit can speak and we can hear his direction. You and I are not going to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us if we are scrolling through Facebook, if we are watching TV. We are not going to be able to minister to the Lord if we are on Instagram. It is when we are in a spiritual posture, such as worship and such as prayer, when we are in a spiritual environment where the presence of God is being sought after, where we are experiencing the nearness of God, it's in that kind of environment a spiritual environment. It's in that kind of a posture, a posture of prayer, fasting, dependency, that you and I will hear the Holy Spirit. And that is when, that is how. They heard the Holy Spirit speak and say, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Notice that they fasted and they prayed more. And then they placed their hands on them. They prayed over them. They commissioned them for the work. And they sent them off. The mission had been assigned. Now they set off to execute it. And we read that the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, not just those who had prayed over them and sent them off, but they were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia, and they sailed from there to Cyprus. Now, chapters 13 and 14 recount the extent of this first missionary journey that was undertaken, initiated at Antioch, and going from Cyprus into what we would call today the nation of Turkey. They encountered a number of extenuating circumstances as they went through this time. They traveled from Salamis, where they landed, across Cyprus, and then embarked at Paphos, preaching the gospel, winning people to Jesus Christ. There at Paphos, they were involved in a demonic confrontation 
that ultimately led to the Roman ruler who was in charge of the province of Cyprus coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They sailed on to Perga. Now we surmise that possibly the Apostle Paul became sick at Perga. We don't read of anything taking place. He will write to the Galatians later, the group of churches that were in this area where they went, and speak of being sick when he came to them. Perga was known for malaria. And so it's quite possible that the Apostle Paul came down with malaria. And there they were delayed for a time at Perga. They traveled on to Pisidian Antioch, where they experienced persecution. From there they went on to Iconium, where there was a plot to stone them. From there they went to Lystra, where Paul actually was stoned and left for dead outside the city. The disciples gathered around him. I believe that they prayed in the name of Jesus. And although those who had stoned him had left him there for dead, he stood on his feet and he and Barnabas went on carrying out the mission. They went to Derby, and then they retraced their steps back through Lystra, Iconium, Perga, and finally to Antioch. In all, this trip took about two years, and it covered 1,600 miles. We read that they preached the gospel in that city, and they won a great number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. I want you to circle a few words here. Circle the word preached. What did they do in each city? They proclaimed the gospel. They preached it. Sometimes it was in a synagogue. Sometimes it was in the marketplace. But where they found a group of people, they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. We read that they won a large number of disciples to the Lord. Circle the word disciples. This is an interesting word. It is only used here and in Matthew. And the word disciples as it is used here means to become a pupil, to enroll as a scholar. And so there's two sides to it. There is both my effort to make someone a disciple, that is to teach them, as Jesus said, to obey everything that I have commanded, but it is also on your part. It is you enrolling yourself to become a scholar in Jesus, to know more about him. It is you taking the posture of a learner and wanting to be taught the truth of God's word. And so there is both sides to it. One side where one disciples another, the other side where a person postures themselves to become a learner and a follower of Jesus Christ. Circle the word strengthening. 
And that word means to cause to rest on, to support further. And so they went back to the places where they had been, supporting further the work that had begun, encouraging and strengthening the disciples to rest and rely on Jesus Christ and never to give up from following him. We also read that they encouraged them. It's the same word that is used to speak of the Holy Spirit as our counselor and our comforter. The word encourage as it is used here means to call near, to come alongside of someone, to invite them to be in your presence so that you can support them, encourage them, give them life, animate them, enable them. And they encourage them to remain true to the faith, to persevere, to abide in Jesus Christ, to abide in the faith, their belief, their conviction, not to give up, not to let go of what they have been taught. And then they also said this to them, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That word hardship means pressure. If you and I are going to follow Jesus Christ, there is going to be pressure on us. The world will pressure us to go their way. The adversary will pressure us to give up following Jesus Christ. There will be pressure. There will be hardships. But we can overcome. Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. But be encouraged. I have overcome the world. Think of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. They experienced hardship, but they were undeterred by opposition. They were unintimidated by threats and danger, and they were unaffected by the efforts or the cost of carrying out their mission. On the other hand, we read that John Mark, who had set off with them on this journey, after that first demonic encounter there in Cyprus, that when they arrived at Perga, they deserted Paul and Barnabas. The work had become too difficult. The pressure had become too much. And he didn't continue with them in the mission that he had accepted in the first place. Well, we read that when they arrived back in Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they now had now completed, that they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. What did they tell them in their report? In the debriefing that took place, what did they say? Well, first of all, evangelism had been carried out geographically, demographically, and systematically in localities such as Cyprus and Turkey. Demographically, among certain groups of people, they had gone into the synagogue and preached to the Jews. They had gone to the Gentiles. And systematically, they had gone from city to city, from place to place, 
preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. New believers have been discipled, then they have been strengthened further in their faith. They had mentored what it means to live as spiritual people. They had fasted, they had prayed, they had been in the word with other people. And they had also mentored leadership so that there would be elders who could be appointed for the spiritual oversight of those local churches that had been established. And then finally they declared that a door of faith had been opened to the Gentiles. Now a work had already been done that had brought Gentiles into a saving faith in Jesus Christ, but this is much larger. This is much more extensive. A door of faith has been opened to the Gentiles at large. The Apostle Paul has become the foremost missionary now to the Gentiles. And you and I are going to see as we continue in the book of Acts how many, many more are going to come to a saving faith of Jesus Christ. And God has used the church at Antioch to open this door. Now let's take a moment and understand this term that we have been using, mission capable. This is a military term. It's an army term. There are two aspects to mission. There is enduring mission, and then there is specific mission. Enduring mission is the reason for which a unit exists, like the 82nd Airborne. And then there is a specific mission. That would be an operation that the 82nd Airborne would be tasked to perform. Like on D-Day, they were tasked to parachute into Normandy and secure certain objectives for the troops that would land on the beach at D-Day and then begin to move inland. Within that mission, there is a mission essential task list. Those are the things that you must do in order to accomplish your enduring mission. It will include a number of things, things that you need to do on a continual basis to be that particular unit, to accomplish the mission that your unit is assigned to do. That's going to be different for the 82nd Airborne or for the 1st Infantry Division or for a chemical brigade or for artillery or a cavalry battalion. And then there are mission essential tasks. Those are the type of operations that a unit must do. It involves identifying a training plan, resourcing it, executing it. Then there is the need to continually assess and reassess the mission. There are two aspects of mission capable. Either you are fully mission capable or you are non-mission capable. Incapable of carrying out the mission that has been assigned to you. I contacted Staff Sergeant David Ray, our very own from here at Moravia. He has been a part of the Airborne He's soon to transfer at the end of this year to the Army Rangers from one elite division to an even more elite division. I asked him to explain these terms to me. And he wrote back and said, mission capable simply means the soldier or item of equipment is functional, 
and able to complete the mission, physically, medically, psychologically, and technically. In explaining mission essential task list, he wrote, commanders are required to conduct training in order to accomplish those objectives which will normally be the unit's mission set while deployed. And then when it came to explaining fully mission capable, he wrote, Staff Sergeant Ray would tell you to conduct lots of training on a daily basis. Eat clean, listen, right place, right time, right uniform. Pay attention when training is conducted. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. It's that last aspect of paying attention when training is conducted and then rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing that enables a unit to perform regardless of what is happening, regardless of the hardship, regardless of the opposition, regardless of the fight that is coming against them. How do we become a fully mission-capable church? First of all, we need to understand the mission. And what is the mission? Jesus said to us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is our mission. It is the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is the mission of Moravia Assembly of God. And it is the mission of you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's be clear. Our mission is not coming to church. Our mission is not listening to a sermon. Our mission is to make disciples of all nations and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. How do we accomplish our mission? The mission is accomplished through an effective local church where mission originates and is carried out. And so from the church at Antioch, Barnabas and Saul went out on the mission that the Holy Spirit was leading them to engage in. From Moravia Assembly of God, we should go out into our community, into our workplaces, into our schools, to the groups of people who are around us and carry out the mission of proclaiming the gospel, winning people to faith in Jesus Christ, and then discipling them. That is how the mission is accomplished. Then we need to ask the question, what mission essential tasks will make us effective? There are certain things that the 82nd Airborne needs to do if they are going to be effective. They need to keep qualifying as airborne troops, parachute, do it again, do it every so often in order to requalify to be paratroopers. There are certain things that they need to practice, rehearse, scenarios that they need to work through so that they can accomplish the objectives that are specific to them as the 82nd Airborne carrying out their mission. So what mission essential task will make us effective as a local church, enable us to be a fully mission capable church? 
As we have looked at the church of Antioch, we can see what we need to do. We need to pursue a church culture where the presence of God is experienced in an environment that is characterized by surrender, dependency, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not just enough for us to come together and to sing. It's not just enough for us to hear a sermon. We need to pursue a culture where when we come together, we are expecting to experience the presence of God. Being in a church service doesn't mean that we have experienced the presence of God. When God is present, it impacts our hearts, our spirits, our wills. We are challenged. We are encouraged. We are filled with power. We are convicted. We are transformed. When people encounter the presence of God, they are changed. You and I have experienced that. And so we need to have this church culture where we, when we come together, we are expecting the presence of God to be manifested, the Holy Spirit to speak, and our lives to be changed. The second mission essential task is that we become a church body that is seriously devoted to being discipled. And discipling has two aspects. One, that we're being taught, and two, that we're accountable. We don't like being accountable. We like to come and go as we desire. And yet no soldier can be effective if he just wants to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And every soldier must be discipled. He must be trained. He must know what's expected of him. He must be equipped to do his job and do it well in relationship with everyone else who's in his unit. And so it is with us as believers. We need to be committed to being taught God's word. God's word equips us. God's word empowers us. God's word gives us understanding. If we are going to witness to other people, we need to know God's word. If we are going to disciple others, we need to know God's word. And then thirdly, we need to become effective disciples who are deployed and committed to missions operations. Once again, just coming to church is not carrying out the mission. The mission is when you and I are equipped, when we are trained, and we are available to be deployed, to carry out a ministry, carry out a missions operation. It might be an outreach to children. It might be a kid's crusade. It might be a ministry to the immigrants and the refugees who are in our community. It might be door-to-door -door evangelism. But whatever it is, if we are truly mission capable, we are making ourselves available to be trained and then to be deployed and to carry out the mission. The issue is, the bottom line, am I fully mission capable or am I non-mission capable? There's no in-between. It's either one or the other. So let's ask ourselves three questions today, individual questions, that will determine whether or not you and I are fully mission capable or non-mission capable. Number one, do I understand the mission and am I an active part of it? We set life goals. 
We talk about our life's purpose, talk about our calling, our career. But above everything else, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And we are to be devoted to him as the Lord. And so our first and foremost mission in life is to be part of his mission. All too often, his mission comes second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth place. After everything else that is a priority in our lives. But you and I are called above everything else to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. To be an active part of it. And it's not hard for you and I to begin today taking an active part in the mission of Jesus Christ. You could call someone else and say, would you pray with me? Let's have a prayer time and we'll pray for the nations of the world. We'll pray for unreached people groups. Remember that there's greater power when two agree together in prayer than if just one person prays alone. Over the past few months, we have been studying Abraham in youth group. And I've been challenging the youth group to live out the calling that God has for them, just as Abraham lived out his calling. And I've challenged them to represent Jesus Christ and share him with their friends from school. So easy to get people together on a Zoom call. Well, Mercy's taken that to heart and the Holy Spirit has spoken to her and she's engaged a few of her other friends who are believers. And this past week, they held a Zoom call with schoolmates. And there were 24 on the call. They shared testimonies. They told what Jesus has done in their lives. It's not hard for you and I just to start right where we are and be an active part of the mission. Secondly, am I growing as a disciple? What is your plan for growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? You need a plan to be in the Word of God, to be memorizing it, to be studying the Word of God, to be part of Bible study, to be part of Sunday school, to listen attentively and then put it into action. How are you growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ? And then thirdly, am I becoming stronger to endure opposition and overcome hardship? You and I will face opposition. We'll face more in the days ahead. Jesus said to his disciples, in this world, you will experience tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This world will be against us. There will be pressure on us. How will you respond? You and I need to become stronger, more dependent upon God, the Holy Spirit filling us with power. And you and I know that we are becoming stronger in him to persevere, to overcome, and to accomplish the mission. In the mid-1800s, there was a great missionary rally in the Royal Albert Hall in London, England. And during the rally, a minister turned to the Duke of Wellington. The Duke of Wellington had led the armies of England across the Iberian Peninsula, beginning in Portugal. And over the course of what would amount to seven years, had finally defeated Napoleon and his armies at Waterloo in Belgium. 
The minister, turning to the Duke of Wellington, asked him, My Lord Duke, do you believe in missions? What are your marching orders? asked the Duke. Of course, the Bible says to go into all the world, answered the minister. Then you have nothing to say about it, replied the Duke. As a soldier, you are to obey orders. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, words that I have often prayed for you, and I pray them again for you. If they are being realized in your life, then you are becoming fully mission capable. I continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Amen. Amen.